Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I'm a happy mama. That's for sure. I got two of my kids in the house. There we go. I wanted to highlight for you women who got these. Will you pull these out, please? It's a little bookmark. Did you get bookmarks? Yes? Okay. Um, this is a ministry that I've actually been um, involved with uh, for a little while. Uh, it's called Moms in Prayer International. Wonderful, wonderful organization. It's, um, the idea is really just getting moms together, um, kind of based out of schools, like we'll have Elsie Moms in Prayer Group or Wilson Moms in Prayer Group, uh, and, and then even moms who don't have kids in, school, in schools anymore still hang together and pray. And it's just been a beautiful thing for, for me in terms of getting together with other women, other moms, to um, praise, confession, thanksgiving, and intercession are, are the steps that we kind of go through every, every time we get together. And it's, it's beautiful to see what God's doing with our kids and that we can support each other. And, and we really believe in the power of praying, prayer and praying for our kids and their well-being. And so know that's happening in, in this city. And if you'd like some information on that, you can um, just ask me and I'll point you in the right direction. So, so shout out to that. That is awesome. Um, I have a little picture I want to show you. There's my mama. She's in the house. That's Jean and Mo. And happy Mother's Day to my loving, spunky mom. She's taught me how to live well and find the best in others. She's a gem, and she is. So let's give a hand to my mama. So I think that that, you know, uh, is a a funny little thing. However, I say it in all seriousness that um, I've been truly blessed um, to be able to have a mom like I have, a dad like I have, and a community that has brought me up to be able to become who I am, to be able to stand before you right now and be able to be in the position that new community is allowing me to be in with you and to be in this community. It's just been just the biggest blessing. You have no idea. So good. So thank you to you and to so many who have led me to this place. So I'm going to start with um, the whole notion of of the image of God. Okay, so we have talked about mothers very reverently, honoring them as we should, and and it sort of, um, you know, they put me in this slot for one, obvious, okay, pick the woman in the crowd, okay, female, check, mother, check, Mother's Day, perfect. Okay, let's key off of that topic, shall we? So uh, I, I got to thinking, okay, what would be a great way to to, you know, God, what do you have for this community? What do you have for us to learn that we don't already know or in a new way for us to um, maybe understand mothering better or understand your parenthood to us or, or what is it? So, so I actually keyed in on this Genesis passage. Okay, so um, Genesis 1, 26 um, says, as you see there, um, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him 
Male and female, he created them. So to me, I was keying in on that because it's like, wow, perfect. Okay, this passage can really be unpacked to help us understand to a greater depth the nature of God and who he is, maybe more than we know now. And correspondingly, if we're in his image, then we need to know and could learn more about what that means about who we are, what our DNA, so to speak. Okay, so so that's my purpose here. So the metaphors in scripture, as you know, are characteristically male. Okay, um, and so we're going to start with the easy ones, and that is, if you can sh- shout out anything that you can think of that might be a male characteristic of God that you've ever been taught, ever read in scripture, anything that comes to mind. Father. Father. There we go. Okay, that's that's an easy one. Good. Father. King, son, love. Okay, is that male? I think females do that too. But okay. <laughs> okay, anything else? What? Lord, yes. And those are generally men in the day, back in the day. Yes. Anything else? Leader. Okay. Protector. Provider. Excellent. Okay, I have a couple that kind of talk about that. Um, in John, he talks, uh, God talks about, uh, uh, the um, author talks about God preparing a place for us. So he's like in, in heaven. So we're being provided for, even as we speak, for eternity. Um, we are, um, you know, in Matthew talks about, you know, even the, even the evil people give good gifts to their children how much more does a loving father give to his children, okay? So that's more provision um, in terms of character quality. Um, how, about, how about adoption? We are told we are adopted. We are, um, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's in Romans, Romans 8. He gives us his name. He's lavished, uh, the Father's lavished great love. We should be called his children, and we are, 1 John 3, 1. So, and that's, again, kind of a male characteristic, right? We take the surname of our father usually, and so that's kind of a, a male thing. Okay, what about female characteristics? It's a little harder, a bit of a, more of a stretch. Comforter, okay? Nurturer. Mother hen. Good one. Anything else? I don't know. Russ, does El Shaddai a female? Yeah, he says yes. Uh, Numa, spirit, is female. Uh, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs is uh, God is referred to, God's voice is referred to in the female in Hebrew. Um, so that's something there. Okay, so I have a couple for you. Uh, what character quality would this one be? Um, this is Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Wow. Okay. What character quality would that be? Hmm? Dependable. Thanks, Mom. Yes. And, um, y- you know, that... Okay, so any of you who might have had a child can really get this, but I can tell you that if you've had a baby, 
two boys, now men. But when they were babies, and I had them, and they were, I was, you know, nurturing them and caring for them uh, to the point of nursing them, all that, all that baby stuff. I could no more forget them than forget who I, my name. I mean, it's impossible for a mother to forget her child as an infant. I mean, it just, it's in your, we're programmed. That we're, it's just always like, where's the baby? What's the baby need? You know, that's, that's the, the normal programming. But God says, even though she might forget, I won't forget. So, so how much more is the father and slash mother God tuned in to what our needs are? Even more than our own nurturing mothers. But the nurturing mother analogy or image is placed for us. Um, how about this one? Um, well, what's another thing? Let's see. We said, um, how about this one? Mother, uh, an eagle, like an eagle when she makes her young leave the nest to fly. She spreads her wings to catch them when they fall and carries them to a safe place. Mother is teacher. Encourager. Encourager. I've been, I'm calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Secure. I would call this a non-anxious attachment to the primary caregiver. As a psychologist, of course. A little psychobabble for you. Just a little bit there. Okay. Um, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who, who, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? Thank you, Ryan. But you are not willing. So, relationally bonded, okay, Mother hen, cluck, cluck, little chickies, right? And protective. She kind of gathers them when they need protecting and knows when those times are. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, will, I guess my next, you know, thought is on this is that I'm, I'm kind of characterizing um, God as male and female, um, and he says that he created us in his image, male and female. However, is God male or female? I mean, that's, what do you think? I mean, is he actually a boy or a girl? I say no. I say spirit. However, I think this whole, the imagery thing that we get is largely because God knows that our minds are like this big, like tiny compared to these great concepts of truth about his character that we, he wants us to absorb. He wants us to get it to the best of our ability. And apparently, something that he knows helps is little images, right? I know that helps me. I'm like a real visual person. And so if I have a, a picture of something, I can remember it a lot better or understand it better. That's why I color in church all the time. Um, so I would say that scripture to that end, has been written to, in a, for a very patriarchal society mainly, but has two main points. If I'm going to summarize scripture for you, okay, here and now, we're just going to get this out of the way. We've got two main points that God wants to make, and I'm going to summarize them for you really quick, okay? For one, God is transcendent, and he is the big guy, okay? So a lot of, like the bulk of scripture is unpacking that. It's 
God is transcendent. He's almighty. He's self-existent. He's the creator and sustainer of all things, author of history, upholder of righteousness, judge of the earth, consummator of the ages. Is that me? Ooh, that is me. I'll sit down. Okay, so um, it's these gorgeous earrings that John gave me. Okay, um, so, so in terms of images of transcendence, okay, so in a patriarchal society, images that might convey that message might be Lord, ruler, judge, master, trying to get the concept of God supreme whittled down to a little analogy that we down here on this temporal level might grasp. So I think kind of that's what this whole male-female thing might also be for us. Help us grasp the concepts. Okay, so that's one of these overriding messages of what this whole scripture God thing is about. Okay, God is transcendent. Secondarily, main meta-message is God cares deeply about humans. So woven throughout scripture, a lot of the stories and analogies are unpacking how it is that God loves us. He loves the creation. He made us. He looks after us. He disciplines us. He draws us into renewed fellowship with God. Oh, and I'm going to say God's self sometimes. Anybody ever heard that term, God's self? So it's, it's a way to speak of God that is not gender-specific. So, so it's something that's sort of been, so not to say Mother God or Father God, but it's just say God self, okay? So that sort of gets around a little. So if you hear that, that's what that's about. So drawing us into fellowship with God self is a cherishing thing. So I would argue that images of parent would convey some of that. Um, but also images of spouse and maybe images of suitor, like drawing a woman in to be the bride. There's all the bride and bridegroom images, right? And so um, those are generally male also in this culture. Those are the people who would be doing those activities of initiation. But again, that's to try to get the meta message across, which is that God is in fellowship, desires that fellowship and desires that intimacy at a very, very core level with his people. Okay, so therefore, um, this whole image-bearing image bearer is what we're sort of trying to understand from our passage. So image, one way to think of image is, you know, how do I look? Okay, there's that kind. And then there is who am I kind of image, like what is my identity? So maleness and femaleness would be a slice of trying to understand what image might be about. And so I'm going to tell you a couple things about maleness and femaleness. Um, it's some, some research. Um, Baron, I'm using some Baron and Cohen research about 
on male brains and female brains and some distinctions that are actually structural. So we kind of, we have a lot of things that we talk about culturally that say, oh, those men and all oh, those women, right? And we kind of know what we're talking about, about what kind of women are sort of like and men are sort of like if we're going to be, you know, stereotyping. But there's actually some truth to some di real differences. Now, there's more similarities probably than differences, but there are some distinctions that I think are quite helpful to draw. One is that male brains are wired to be able to more easily systematize. That is, they have the drive and the equipment to analyze, explore, and construct a system to um, figure out how things work, to extract the underlying rules that govern the behavior of a system. So then the purpose would be to understand and predict the system or invent a new one. So male brains actually are wired to do that more easily than female brains. Don't know why, but it sort of would make sense that that would be very useful for the kingdom, for kingdom building, to this, this skill of being able to understand, draw, and systematize and solve problems. So that kind of makes some sense. That's very useful. Good job, guys. Keep it up. Okay. Women on the other hand, have something unique to their brain um, configuration or um, the way they're constructed. Uh, they, a term that's associated with the female brain is um, mentalistic or empathizing brain. This is the drive to identify another person's emotions and thoughts and to respond to them with an appropriate emotion. Empathizing occurs when we feel an appropriate emotional reaction in response to the other person's emotions. The purpose of this is to understand the other person and to predict his or her behavior and connect or resonate with him or her emotionally. So this would be the innate programming for women that works, is very functional when it comes to tending to very young children. I have a little baby in the audience here, and I'm sure this woman does this very beautifully, and that is to be able to discern what the baby needs without the baby having language. And that takes a certain sort of, some brain structures help with that, to know and be able to discern um, intuitively, as well as be able to maybe understand words even in a way that is unique to kind of connect fairly easily and effectively. So again, Another fantastic skill for kingdom building, wouldn't you say? Quite useful to tend to people and understand people. So problem solving, understanding what's going on, make sense of the world, tending to the people within the world and try to figure them out. Complementary, right? So I kind of think that that's what we're about in terms of these complementary strengths. So um, as... I would assert, therefore, that there is no hierarchy in the way God has designed us. Because if we're saying that we are equally, we are image bearers, made male and female in his likeness, equipped uniquely in our various, our respective ways, I don't see anything that says that's one that's more important or better than the other. They're different, useful, and effective, and needed, and required to do this thing that God wants us to do, which is to participate in the unfolding of his history in, here on this planet. So, no hierarchy. 
secondarily, in terms of image bearing, I would say that um, um, this, this issue of are we equally equipped to reflect um, God's God to the world? Um, unfortunately, I think there has been a lot of the hierarchical, patriarchal sort of um, overlay in our Christian experience. I mean, I think it's pretty, you don't have to go very far to find it. And I think part of it has to do with that packaging of, you know, Lord, Master, Ruler, all these male sort of terms that I think were very useful to convey God's transcendence, but are kind of limiters in terms of this concept of equality and complementarity. So I would assert that there's also scripture, though, that does lift that up. It's just that we need to pay attention. For instance, um, Eve was said to be the helper of Adam as she was made, right? And uh, many people put it like this. Here's Adam, here's the helper, and here's how they relate to one another. Adam's sort of up here, and she assists, okay? Okay, so understand that the word for helper in Hebrew um, is actually the word that is used to refer to God is the helper of Israel. Same word. Is God subordinate to Israel as its helper? I think not, right? So just, just kind of put that in there just to ponder. I thought that was quite interesting. Interestingly, my seminarian daughter told me that because she's a, um, she's a Hebrew student. So I was very thrilled. I said, Danielle, I need your help. I have to preach. Ah. So she helped me. Um, in fact, she texted me, text me as soon as you get done with your sermon. I want to hear how it went. So I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so, uh, uh, she's in homiletics, by the way, so I'm sure she's going to critique me unmercifully, but that's okay. I need the help. Uh, uh, so, okay, so thirdly, in terms of our identity as, as um, image bearers, we as men and women are commissioned to um, partner responsibly and effectively in this world. So, so we have shared responsibility in the dominion of things down here, right, that are among us. Um, so we, so we as women can't sort of offload all this responsibility to the guys, right? Though I'm sort of like just here to like, you know, support actually not. We are supposed to be out there forging our ground in our own unique ways as mightily as our male counterparts in our spheres of influence, according to this concept of being made in the image of God very, you know, it's a weighty thing. That's all I'm saying. It's a, we should take this seriously. This is not something to be, be, for one, it's our identity, who we are. For two, it's our commission. So, not, you know, this is like a big deal. Okay. Um, so, interestingly... Do you recognize this, mom and dad? Okay, how old was I when you gave this to me? Five, six? 
Five? Okay. I've had this thing since I was five years old, if you can believe it. This tells you what kind of kid I was and still am. I still have it, okay? I love this thing. This is my jungle scope, okay? I was trying to come up with a, a little analogy to help us remember this whole issue of image bearing. I thought, okay, mirror. That's awesome. Okay, a mirror. What do I have that has a mirror? My jungle scope. You can go around the corners. You know, you really kind of sneak up on mom and dad. You know, it's awesome. Not very powerful. You know, it doesn't do much more than, you know, give you about, what, 18 inches of cover. But that's all right. It was great back in the day. Um, Another thought I had was in terms of trying to get this analogy of, you know, uh, mirrors and how we reflect and how we can be, you know, zeroing in on who God is. Okay, so there, Isaac Newton used this fantastic mirror in a telescope in the 1700 that allowed him to be able to see the moons of Jupiter back in 1700. I mean, that's amazing. So if we use that analogy and I have this big, powerful telescope, that's great, and I might be able to get a better peek about who God is if I, you know, use that lens and use the mirror but that doesn't help me understand how I participate in the whole process, really. Like, what am I supposed to do? Look. Okay, got that. Anything else? Not so much. Okay, so that analogy didn't work too well. Then I found this awesome video. N.T. Wright is going to give us the perfect image. I often use to help people understand what Genesis means by the image of God, and indeed what um, Paul means by the image of God, because he uses that as well, um, is the image of an angled mirror. We often think of an image as being a mirror. Here's a mirror, I'm looking at it, I'm seeing it myself. But supposing we have an angled mirror. I remember when I was a small boy um, being ill in bed, and uh, uh, my mother lined up a mirror in the doorway of my room so that through that mirror I could see so that I didn't feel so isolated and alone. And the point about the angled mirror is that you can see in both directions. And uh, it seems to me that God has put humans like an angled mirror in his world so that God can reflect his love and care and stewardship of the world through humans and so that the rest of the world can praise the creator through humans. And the way this comes out in many biblical passages is to see God's people. You get this in Exodus 19, you get it in the book of Revelation, you get it actually in Paul as well. See God's people as uh, the royal priesthood. Priesthood because they're summing up the praises of creation, presenting it before God. So when, when humans praise God, they ought to realize that they are doing so as the representatives of the whole world reflecting the rest of the world to God. But when humans are looking after creation and bringing God's healing, restorative justice to creation in all sorts of different ways, there they are reflecting God into the world. So that the image of God is not, I think, something about us, our memory or our conscience or our imagination or our spirituality or our reason. Theologians have tried all that, as though there was something about us which is exactly like God. No doubt a lot of that is true, 
but I think it's a much more creative, much more uh, dynamic picture um, that the priests and the kings, or kings and queens, uh, reflecting God to the world and the world to God. And I see the, the human vocation, the Christian vocation, as being to recover, to recapture that image. Paul talks in Colossians about being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. And it seems to me if we actually looked at our own vocation vis-a-vis -vis the world like that, all sorts of things about how we treat the world, how we act responsibly within it, would uh, appear in quite a different light, which could be very healthy. He's so good. So, perfect analogy beyond this is the angled mirror because it actually talks about how we reflect and are participating all at the same time. Super helpful. So, the Colossians passage is saying... Um, Take off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So there's something about new self that has to do with reflecting the image and old self, which kind of blocks that process. Okay? So the old self, I would say, boils down to gazing at my own image too much. That can be either an overinflation of my self-appraisal, self-reliant, overconfident, independent of God, God's influence, and under, not understanding the neediness that I actually possess. So that would be that in the weeds over there. Then there's out in the weeds over here, which is, I'm so lowly, I can't do anything right, I don't have any worth or value. That's out in the weeds over here, because that's not quite right either in the sense that it's self-focused. Incidentally, um, this issue of, of worth is something that comes up a whole lot in therapy, as you can imagine, okay? So people who are coming in to see me oftentimes... You know, life struggles, kind of normal stuff, but, but in addition, might struggle with a sense of self that is not aligned with reality. And sometimes it's a matter of, you know, a very low view of self, thinking, you know, I'm not worth much, whatever. So I, when I ask the question, you know, what gives you worth? What, what are those things that you would say, you would assign, help assign you personally value? And people come up with, you know, well, if I'm a good person or if I, if I have that college degree or if I have lots of friends or if I'm, you know, popular. So you can see the list, that list is all external things, right? Okay, ask you this then. Is a newborn, raise your hand if you think a newborn baby is valuable. Newborn baby has worth. I think we all agree to that. Have they gotten a college degree? No. Have they married? No. Do they have money? No. Okay, 
The list goes on and on and on. Yet we unanimously say the, the baby has worth. Okay, that's weird. That doesn't really, that doesn't really fit. Okay, so, so the logic of me saying I'm worth nothing because anything external doesn't match the fact that I assert that a baby is valuable. So therefore, if we back it up, what gives that baby value is the fact that it's created. Period. Don't have to earn it. Zero done about it by the baby. It is imparted to the baby by God, by the nature of being born. The nice thing to hang on to is the fact that that never changes. Okay? So it doesn't matter that you're, you know, that I'm now like 52. Uh, I'm still valuable only because I'm created, not because of anything I've ever done for the good or for the bad. It matters not one iota. It's apples and oranges completely about actual worth. Worth has to do with imparted value by createdness, not earning it or not earning it. We do, um, I'm with a, in a band that does some prison ministry, five women. Um, we play and sing and go into maximum security facilities. It's quite interesting. Us and the guys, it's great. Uh, so we have worship with them. And, you know, it really, we feel like it's like the, some of the purest form of worship because all the props are gone. These guys are stripped of everything that the world would say is valuable. They're pretty much the lowest of the low, right, in terms of the pecking order in society. These are the throwaway people, kind of. These are the lifers. The, the prison we go to is um, Two Rivers Correctional Facility. It's in Umatilla, the Oregon State Pen. And they're known for, they don't have a death row, but they have um, the highest, a very high percentage of lifers in that facility. It's because of their ability to keep um, the population separate. There's a lot of gang um, members in there who they can, because of the structure of the building, they're able to never allow them to cross. And so it cuts down on riots and fights and internal sort of problems. So anyway... A lot of lifers in there. So we, you know, captive audience for sure. Um, so we go and, and we, we are with them. And I think I am reminded of this whole issue of how common we all are and how we are commonly valuable to our creator just because of that. So it is no different that they're in and I'm out in terms of how God views us. It's a beautiful thing, actually. So, you know, so anyway, it's a nice correction for me if I should ever think any more highly of myself than that, which is, you know, would be wrong and bad. So um, that's, you know, it's just nice to keep that in mind that it's not so much what we're doing, but who we are in him that is where we should hang our hat of value. So, so if we can grasp that and really take that on, it, it really can be a lightening of the load to not feel like we have to keep striving and doing and reformulating ourselves. And, of course, we desire to grow, and God wants us to continue to evolve and work out our salvation, but that's not required in order to be worthy of his love because he did everything. So, 
Um, so the new self then would be using my R, maleness and femaleness, to reflect God's image accurately. And so that's to say that, um, to, I think to kind of extend the Colossians passage back to our image of the male brain and the female brain, um, I'd say that living into the image means really grappling with our own maleness and femaleness. So I'm going to talk to the guys for a second. Okay, men, I think I would, lo- I would love to challenge you to get with other guys and really discuss what you think it means to live into God's image for you as men. What character qualities do you feel are, are your challenge in that um, station that you find yourself? You happen to find yourself in that. You didn't ask for it. There you are. You're men. Okay? Women, same thing. What does it mean for us to be fully in our person as women and know that that God stamp is right there? Because that's, I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's complex at the same time. And I think we need each other to kind of fill in the blanks. Not to mention the fact that, yes, we're all men or women, but within those groups, we are unique and we have a unique gifting within our, so all the women could gather around and every single one of them would offer something different for kingdom building than the other one. Same with the men. So there needs to be ongoing conversations of how we are going to identify and affirm that those unique qualities in one another so we'll know better and have that guidance to be able to reflect, okay? So transformation then comes in this renewal of our minds to say, ah, I get it, I get it. Okay, you're the creator God, transcendent. You care about the people. You have made me, for instance, female, I need to figure out how, who I am as a woman. Okay, I'm a psychologist. I'm a believer. I get this. I like to talk in front of people. It's awesome. So therefore, those would be little examples of where I get to then understand that I have a place. I have a role to play here. I get to participate. I get to participate in ministry by ministering to all my people on my sphere of influence. And hopefully they see God through me because I live in a way that's upright that would be worthy of his reflection. So therefore, it's the angled mirror. We are the angled mirror. Be the angled mirror. Let's pray. Lord, help us to learn how to be the angled mirror. Help help us to know what it means to participate in your activity of loving your people. Help them to see your transcendence and your lordship through us. Help us to use our gifting as men and as women to the fullest. Help there to be no barriers, no hierarchy, no nothing that holds us back from fully being who you have made us to be. Help us feel proud that we're your kids. We have your adoption, your stamp. There's nothing that can stop us because through Christ all things are possible. Amen.